Oh, good morning, church. How are you this morning? Are you, dr- are you dried out? <laughs> as long as you're not spiritually dry, we're good, okay? Have you ever met someone who you would classify as remarkable? You ever, ever walking through life and you, and you meet someone and, and there's just, they're just different? There's something about them and they, you, you, the word remarkable comes to mind. And it can, be, uh, it can be maybe talent, it can be giftedness, or it can even be in terms of achievement. They're just, they're just remarkable. It's kind of the word for this morning. And you're going to find a place, I'm sure, in, my, in the next few minutes to be able to just circle that and identify it. But there are times that that's a reality. And all of us are going to make our impact in life. And we're looking towards a point when we leave here, and we begin it while we're here, but when we leave here, we're actually going to leave a legacy behind us. And you will never know the extent of your legacy on this side of heaven because you have no idea of the people around you that your life affects. And it, it can be in all kinds. Some of the decisions you make evolve somebody in your life. And, and, and the, 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 ripple, the ripples from, from your life affect their life. And, and the ripples from that life affects their family members and affects other people. But we will never know what our true legacy is until we are on the other side. But the truth is, if, if, we, if we have something that we want for our lives we want our lives to be remarkable. And we're in this series where we're talking about the family. And as moms and dads, if, if, if we were to look at our desires, what we would want is for our kids to be remarkable. We, 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 don't, want to, we, we don't sit there thinking, you know, I, 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 hope my, I hope my kid can be mediocre. We, we don't shoot for that. Or I hope my kid can just kind of be average. We, we would really like our kids to be in a whole other arena. We'd like them to be remarkable. And I, I wrote a, a definition in your notes. You're going to see a number of definitions in your notes. And they don't, they're not straight from a dictionary. They, they actually have a biblical context to them. But this word remarkable, exceptional, outstanding, uncommon, worthy of attention, as followers of Christ, Jesus said, listen, Jesus said, I, I, I have come to give you life. And, and the version that I grew up with was, I have come to give you life, and that, meaning life, more abundantly. An, another translation says, I have come to give you life to the full. And you and I live our lives, and, and God's desire for our lives, his, his plan and His purpose and desire for our lives is so much greater than sometimes we, we understand, allow, or even let to happen. And he, he, following Christ takes us and places us automatically in a remarkable family, in a whole spiritual family. God wants us to have a remarkable life. To do that, you have to be willing to be different. Because otherwise, you're not, you're just like everybody else. And he's talking about something else. See, remarkable is not common. It's not like other people. And as parents, remark, if, we want, if we want remarkable children, 
We have to be willing to teach our kids that they don't just have to desire to be like other kids. That they can be more than other kids. And as I open up my Bible and I go through this, there are just there are there are no perfect people. And as I said last week, there are no perfect families. As a matter of fact, most of the families in the Bible were messed up. And God took those messed up families and he uses them just like our church, which is full of dysfunctional families and messed up families. And God is in the process of working and changing those families into something that he desires them to be. But I, I, I see, I, I see pers- Esther, I see in here, Job. I, you know, there, there's, Deborah is another one, Nehemiah. There's story after story. And I want to stop and, and look at Daniel this morning. Because Daniel gives us, we look at Daniel's life, and he gives us four principles. And those four principles actually make Daniel's life remarkable. And if you and I will apply those, these simple four principles in our lives, if we will, if we will allow those into our lives and allow them to become what our character is, our lives without question will automatically be in the category of remarkable. Daniel. You know, Daniel was a part of the the nation of Israel. Over and over again throughout the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, would find themselves in a place where they were in good relationship with God, and then they would drift. And when they drifted, they would be in a bad relationship with God. Now, God never changed anywhere through any of this, but they changed. They, they moved, and, and he no longer was their priority. And, and so what God would just let happen is he would let the natural flow of that happen. And what happened at this point, when we're talking about Daniel in Scripture, what happened here is the nation of Israel was held captive by the Babylonian Empire. And, you, and listen, if you've never read the story of Daniel, you have to read the story of Daniel. The story of Daniel is amazing. And God did you a favor. He made this one easy for you. All you have to do is open up to the New Testament, right? Right about where the New Testament is in your Bible. And then just go back a few books and just look for Daniel's name. Because what, he, what, what God chose to do in Scripture is take the story of Daniel and put Daniel's name on it so it wouldn't be hard for you to find. So you, can, you need to do that. You need to read Daniel's story. And, and I want, I'm going to look at one passage of Scripture in Daniel that talks about Daniel. And, and my whole message this morning is straight from that passage of Scripture. The nation of Israel is taken captive. The, everybody is taken in as slaves. Daniel is a slave of the Babylonian Empire. The king is Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar the king, listen, through the process, and after we read this one verse, what, what, what God does through Daniel's life, he takes Daniel, who is a slave, and through the process of these four character traits, raises him up to the number two position, position in the Babylonian Empire. He's one step down from the king. God does that through a slave, through these four principles that, that God does in his life. And, and now, let's look at this verse, Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. Daniel so distinguished himself, and you're going to want to grab your pen here. Daniel so distinguished himself from all the other leaders by his remarkable qualities. You have to underline remarkable 
qualities. Make sure you note that in your notes. Those, those words are so important. That the king planned to put him in charge over the entire empire. Daniel's a slave. And because, because of his character and who he is, he gets placed right under the king in authority over the entire nation. Which, by the way, is a nation that has taken his nation in as slaves. And this nation that has taken them in, the Babylonian was the greatest nation on the earth at that point in time. There are four qualities in Daniel's life that I want to look at this morning. There are four qualities that you and I want in our lives. And as moms and dads, listen, what we want to do as moms and dads, if we can, if we can take the time to build these four qualities, and we can do this, build these four qualities into the life of our kids, our kids are going to be remarkable. And I know what some of you are thinking. Yeah, you don't know my kid. You, you don't. I've seen too many of those, my kids, turn into something. God has a plan and a purpose for every single person on the earth. And God's plan and purpose in those is so far, this is so far beyond what sometimes we allow ourselves to think and embrace. With Daniel, with these, but we, we, we have to be willing to put forth the effort. So how do we build into our kids? See, I'm, I'm a firm believer. You know, I'm, looking, I'm looking in our church family. I'm looking at people and I'm looking at families. In this service and in the first service, there, there, there are families that are so, it's so clear when they came to Christ and, and, and the mess in the family or the mess in a personal life and, and, and have come through this process. We're going to be sharing a few of those with you over the next couple of weeks. They've come through this process of working through Failure, working through sin, working through disaster, working through issues, and now at a place that God is at work in their lives and using it, living in the benefit of what he does, the reality of, of what God desires to do. I'm a firm believer that when we become followers of Christ, when we accept Christ as our Savior, the best of our life is actually the rest of our life. See, see, when we accept Christ as our Savior, from that point on, that, the rest of that entire life will be the best. Of, even when we find ourselves in difficult situations, in struggles and trials, all kinds of, because God himself, no matter what it, what it is, will use those things for our best, for his glory. There's nothing better than a life that God is at work on. Now, how do we do this with our kids now, we, it's funny because we, for years, we, we, we want our kids to have education. And listen, you can, you can give your kids all the, not, education is not a bad thing, but you can give your kids all the education that you want to and all that you can. And you, you may still not end up with remarkable kids. With education, we've said for years, what we, we want to learn is reading, writing, and arithmetic. Now, this is education, and three of those are misspelled. What I want to do this morning, I want to look at four R's because this word remarkable produces four R's. These are four other words that we see in Daniel's life. And those four characteristics place him in a category clearly called remarkable. 
How do we do that? There are four things in Daniel's life that place him in the category of remarkable. The first thing I want, I want you to write this down. Daniel was respectful of everyone. He was respectful of, he showed everyone respect. When we respect every, everyone, you know what we're doing? We are having reverence for God. We live in a culture that is becoming more and more rude. We see it with our politicians. And some of you, you're Democrats, and you're saying, that's right. That, yeah, yeah. And, and some of you are Republicans, and you're saying, yep, that, that's right, that's right. We're seeing it in both parties. We're, we're seeing it in politics. We're seeing it on the road. We're seeing it everywhere in our culture. People are becoming more rude. But when you, when you respect someone, you will stand out from the crowd. Because respect is a big deal. Look at the definition I gave you here in your notes. To appreciate, by the way, get your pen out because there are three words I want you to underline and there's one word I want you to circle because when you leave here this morning, I'm going to give you so much information that in your life groups, and if you're not a part of a life group, you need to get a card, fill it out, and be a part of a life group here in our church family. But in your life groups, you are going to discuss some of the stuff that I'm going to give you this morning. To, to appreciate the uniqueness, under, underline uniqueness of the value value and the worth, underline the worth, and affirm the dignity, underline dignity, of who? Everyone. Circle the word everyone, because God made them. When you and I disrespect anyone, we are insulting God. When we disrespect someone, we're, we're, we're basically saying, God, you should have made them like me, because I know because I'm what's right, because I'm the, and, and, and when, we, when we do that, see, if we, if we that, look, you don't have to approve of every, everything someone says, but, but God says you do have to respect them. You don't have to approve of some of the things politicians are doing, but you do have to respect, you don't have to approve of someone else's position, but you do have to respect them, because that makes a huge difference. God doesn't approve of everything you and I do. That's why we need a Savior. There's sin, and we need a Savior. See, he doesn't approve of everything we do, but he recognizes that each one of us have dignity. We were created in his image. And even though we're flawed, even though we're broken, even though we live in a broken world, we have dignity. I believe that God is looking to bless people who are willing to be respectful. Because it's a characteristic that is from God himself. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 12. If you put yourself above others, you will be put down. But if you humble yourself, you will be honored by others. God's serious about this issue. As a, as a matter of fact, he doesn't, he doesn't leave wiggle room. Look what he says in 1 Peter. 1 Peter, he says, show real respect to who? Everyone. When you look at the original language in the Greek, do you know what everyone means? Everyone. Everyone. Who does God expect me to show respect to? 
Over 50 times in Scripture, Scripture talks about this. And I'm just going to give you the top 10. And buckle your seatbelt because I want to go through this fast. I don't want to spend a lot of time on these 10 things. But this is 10 groups of people that God expects you and I to respect. First, he expects us to respect his name and his word. I grew up for years on construction sites. Jesus Christ was the most popular name on, on every construction site I've ever been on. Look, I've hit my finger with a hammer more than once, and I've heard a bunch of guys do it, and, and the first thing they say is Jesus Christ. I never, to the, for the life of me, I never understood that. I don't know why you don't hit your, hit your thumb with the hammer and say, Satan and the devil. Why do you say Jesus Christ? I, I, it, it makes no sense whatsoever. But he wants us to respect his name and respect his word, and take it seriously. The second is my parents. God wants you and I to respect our parents. In the Ten Commandments, it's one of the Ten Commandments, but it's the only one of the Ten Commandments that actually has a promise attached to it. If, if you honor your father and mother, you will, he says, so that you will live long. There's a promise that comes along with it. How about the third one, my spouse? God expects me to respect my spouse. Guys, this is a big deal. Do you know why? Because if you don't respect your spouse, the Bible says that he won't answer your prayers. Look at this passage of Scripture. I'll read it up here or there. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wives with understanding as you live together. Look, at it goes on. It says this. She may be weaker than you are. Now, that's a maybe. I've met some ladies that could take their husband down in three seconds flat. So look at that maybe. That, that, that's her. But she may be weaker than you are, but she's your equal partner in God's gift of new life. He's talking to his family here. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Do you hear that, guys? Amen. I heard that lady say amen. Before you ladies get up on your high heels, I got a verse for you too. So again, I say man must love his wife as a part of himself. And the wife must see to it that she, is, that she deeply respects her husband, praising and honoring. That word respect is a big, big deal. The fourth one is God expects me to respect others in my church family and my pastors and leaders. In other words, he says in there, treat each other like brothers and like sisters. The fifth one is God expects me to respect older people. You ever heard that phrase, respect your elders? How many of you heard that phrase? You know where that comes from? That comes straight out of the Bible. Respect your elders. The sixth one is unbelievers. But people who don't believe the same way we do. I don't care if it's an atheist, an agnostic, if it's some other religion or Jehovah's Witness or, or, or what. God expects me to respect them. And we're sitting behind our front door, and, and we're watching some people walking up to the front door, and you tell your wife, honey, turn off the lights. The Jehovah's Witnesses are coming, and you go and you hide, right? I know. I know. 
I see you. Look, look in 1 Peter chapter 3. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Always be ready to explain to someone what Jesus has done in your life. But, but, do this with respect and gentleness. The second, seventh thing is, is the poor. God expects us to show respect to the poor. Because if you and I are unkind to the poor, we are insulting our creator. The Bible says the poor you will always have with you. He tells us respect. You ready for number eight? I'm not sure you are. Immigrants. God expects us to respect immigrants. And he says it over and over again. He says it in more than one place. And it's a hot button right now in our culture. And I don't care which side of the aisle you are on, left or right, Republican or Democrat. It's a political football. And people are being used by this political football. What does God have to say about it? Look what he says, do not mistreat foreigners living in your country, but treat them just as you treat your own citizens. Love foreigners as you love yourselves because you were foreigners at one time in Egypt. I am the Lord your God, he says. Number nine, my opponents. In, in other words, my enemies, people who want to do bad things to me. It's easy to respect people just like me. That's easy. If they're just like me, I can respect that. But people who are different politically, people who are different religiously, you don't have to agree. God doesn't agree. Look, God doesn't agree with everything in my life. This is, this is a broken world. We, we are sinners. You don't have to agree but he's saying, you do have to respect. Could you imagine, could you imagine if the news media and politicians actually moved back to the place where they simply had respect for one another? I don't, know, I don't even know if you could even imagine this, but just imagine that. They may differ on opinion and they, and they embrace their ideology, but, but if they could respect one another, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, says, I tell you this, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In this way, you show that you are children of your heavenly Father. He is talking to his family here. He's talking to us. In this way, you'll show that you're children of your heavenly Father. If you love those who love you, do you deserve a reward? Obviously not. That's an easy one. No brainer, no work, no effort. Are you doing anything remarkable? There's our word, remarkable. Are you doing anything remarkable if you welcome only your friends? Everybody does that. So how do you be a remarkable person when someone is attacking you? When someone disrespects you, you know how, you, you know how you're a remarkable person? 
will you actually show them respect? When someone disrespects you and you respond with respect, it's a big deal. Number 10, government leaders. God expects us to respect government leaders. As a matter of fact, he tells us to consistently take time to pray for them. Some of you struggled through the Obama years. And now some of you are struggling through the Trump years. And if you struggled through the Obama years, you survived. And if you're struggling through the Trump years, you'll survive. Everything Julia told us is going to be all right. We, 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 are, we, God's in control. God is in control. I, I'm so tempted here to get off track. I, I, I just can't do it. I, 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 God is in control. How do we treat everybody with respect? As followers of Christ, Jesus said, I want you to love each other the way I love you. And then he gave us, I don't know why he trusted it to us, but he did. He gave us the job of sharing the truth of who he is to the world around us. He gave us the job of telling other people what he's doing in our life. He gave us the job of sharing the truth about the Savior. The gospel, we call it, the good news. He gave us the responsibility of sharing that with everybody. But you are never going to win anybody for Christ if you disrespect them. It just isn't going to happen. See, if I'm, if I'm angry with you, it's highly unlikely that I'm respecting you. When, when our kids disrespect us, moms and dads, when our kids just step right up to the plate and disrespect them, we've all been there. And, and, and our natural response is to, is to step right back up to that plate and put that little sucker in line. Maybe we just need to stop. Guilty, guilty, guilty all over the place here. Did this wrong more times than you probably, than I probably will ever know. Maybe we just need to stop and figure out a way to show that child respect and then take them through a process of understanding what respect is and why it's important. Because if we do that, we will model respect. And our kids don't do what we say, they do what we do. And if we'll do that, we will produce kids that show respect. You're at the office, and, and somebody at the next desk says something as simple as, I, I, don't think that I, can, I don't think that I can ever deal with that person anymore. And we have to find a way to walk that back, to bring respect, even for that person, back into the picture. If we respect only people that are like us, or we respect perfect people, what good, is, what good is that? Because if we do that, nobody would respect us. He calls us to a whole other arena. Our, our, our whole society points to a thing called the golden rule. 
And there was this famous guy who came up with it. His name happens to be Jesus. And Jesus said, in everything, do to others what you want them to do for you. And we point to that, but, but, but we don't do it. Daniel was remarkable, number two, because he was reliable. Daniel was very reliable. If you're not going to be reliable, nobody is going to trust you. Why would somebody trust you if you're not going to be reliable? Now, I could step into your lives and really mess with you on this one. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to share some truth here. The Bible says, you know, as a matter of fact, the Bible doesn't, you won't find that word reliable in the Bible because the Bible uses words like trustworthy or faithful or worthy of trust. So in, in my definition, look what we have here. Being dependable. Reliable means you're dependable. It means you're trustworthy. It means you're honest, and it means that you're loyal. That is what reliable means. By the way, employers will pay money for that because it has huge value. Listen, employers can train people to do all kinds of things, but you can't train people to do that. When you come to the table with your employer and you have that, it's a big deal. Proverbs 20, verse 6. There are plenty of people who will tell you, you can trust me. And look what it goes on to say. But it's hard to find someone who is truly trustworthy. If you're taking notes, I got three quick habits for you. Let's do them quickly. Three quick habits of a reliable person. Number one, they always tell the truth. They always tell the truth. Proverbs 17, 7. Respected people do not tell lies. So if you don't always tell the truth, you're not reliable. Ouch. Because you embrace this whole concept of white lies. The, the second habit is I always do what I promise. If you say you're, if you want to be successful in business, number one, just show up when you say you're going to show up. Number two, do what you promise you're going to do. Number three, just be reasonable in your pricing. If you do that, you're going to put almost all of your competition out of business. Without question, always do what you promise. Promise 25, verse 13, reliable, there's our word, reliable friends who do what they say are like cool drinks in sweltering heat. In other words, reliable friends are refreshing. When you're reliable and you do what you say you're going to do, you are showing your boss that you are reliable. Huge value in that. Look, look at Psalm 15.4. They keep their promises to their neighbors, even when it hurts. Have you ever committed to somebody to do something? I'll be there to help you on that Saturday morning, and you promise that you're going to, and they're counting on you. But then you get a better offer. Your friends call, and they say, look, we're all going to the lake with the boat, and we got all this stuff, and you're thinking, oh, man, I promised them I'd be doing that. 
and this is so much more fun. Or, or you promised you'd do something, and then, then something else came along that you could actually really make some good money. But I promised I would do this. Or, or there was something else that you could just really relax. Something better came up for you. Acts 15, they keep their promises to their neighbors even when it hurts. The third habit is they always keep confidential information. Always keep confidential. Gossips can't keep secrets, but a trustworthy person, person can, Proverbs 11 says. And by the way, if someone is going to gossip to you, they are going to gossip about you too. That, a gossip is a, a, is a two-way swinging door. What's the, what's the definition of gossip? Sharing information when you are neither a part of the problem or you're a part of the solution. If you're entrusted with confidential information, just keep your mouth closed about that information. Oh, gosh, that is character beyond belief. Daniel, number three, Daniel learned to be resourceful. Daniel was very resourceful. This guy was a slave in a foreign nation, and he rose to number two, just under the king. Because he was resource. Resourcefulness is making the most of what I have and finding solutions to problems that others have overlooked. You know why? Because you're remarkable. You're not average. You're not, it's, you're not the normal. And, and you're not waiting for the perfect environment to move forward. I'm in the process of remodeling my house. I have been for over 10 years, so it's nothing new there. And I will tell you that there are times that I stopped and I waited for things to get better before I moved forward. I gutted our whole master bathroom, took everything out, all the way down to the bare wall, everything gone, back down to the bare walls. And then I stopped for a month. I just stopped for a month. Well, no, I don't feel like doing it today, you know. Karen's putting up with me through that whole process. But now we're at the place, and it's, it, I finally got that sucker. It's finished. It's all done. And I remember when I finished it, I thought to myself, why did I live that month like that? What, why, did I, why, why was I waiting for nothing? But I do stuff like that. We need to be resourceful with our finances, with our time, with our health. Some of us are getting older. We're recognizing that. With our relationships. We need to be thinking in terms of creative solutions, being resourceful. We need to teach our kids to be resourceful. When our kids come to us with a problem, we, what, what we do is we stop and we think about it and we come up with the answer and we give it to them. What do we do that for? We need to stop and say to our kids, let's think about that. Why don't you, why don't you, go, why don't you come back to me with three options and, and, and what each of those options will do? And, 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 let, and let, let them go back and let, let's give our kids the opportunity to move forward with their life of dignity and their life of growth and, and let them move forward in, in what God has designed and not be doing things for our kids. A day later, they say, well, well what, what did you decide about that, that 
thing that, what, what do you think is going to resolve what we talked about the other week? Instead of just giving our kids the answer. Jesus was absolutely amazing at that. People would come to him with a question, and the first thing he would do in the process of teaching them was ask them questions. He made them use their brain, and he took them to the place where they came up with the answers that he knew that he wanted them to understand. He was a master at this. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4. Paul's another one. Paul was resourceful. Resourceful people get ahead in life. As a matter of fact, when I look through Scripture, resourceful people change the world. They live remarkable lives. Look what Paul says in uh, Philippians 4.12. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I can live in a tent, but I'm good with the Waldorf. I, I've, I can live comfortably, but I can live without comfortably. Look what he says. I know how to live on nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret. Oh, it's a secret, so you have to learn it. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty one, with plenty or with little. How do you become wise? You become wise by making decisions. Some of the decisions you make are right. And some of the decisions we make are wrong. And when we make wrong decisions, we get more wisdom, and we learn how to make right decisions, and we move down in this process of getting wise. It's kind of weird that as parents, when we're done, <laughs> then we have a whole, a whole bunch more information. We wish it was the other way around. Why can't I start off and have all this information, and then, and then I can raise my kids better? I don't know why he didn't do it that way, but he didn't do it that way. He chose not to do it that way. Paul was resourceful. Daniel was resourceful. Number four is learn to be resilient. And let's, our, our, this, this is something that is disappearing from our culture. In our culture, we hit a, uh, we hit a spot and, and we fail and we give up. It's all too easy. Failure is never final until you give up. When you give up, then it's final. We need to, I'm, I'm going to do a series on this. We, we need to learn when we fail to benefit from our failures. In other words, we need to learn to fail and then move forward. That's, that's the reality of life. That's this resourceful. Daniel was a slave. He could have just sat back as a slave and, and whittled on a piece of wood or, or did, did whatever. He didn't do that. He dug in and he gave life every bit of his all. And he was resilient. The ability to bounce back and recover from loss, failure, stress, or disappointment. You don't give up when you stumble or, or, or just let, let the government take care of you. Everybody has problems. That's just the reality. You know who is resilient? Captain America is resilient. Captain America is resilient. I love, I, I, if you've been to my office, here's what you know. On the wall of my office is this baby right here. Yeah. 
He has no superpowers, but he has his shield. Wes and I go see every, every one of the Marvel. I, I love superheroes, but this guy is my favorite. The Apostle Paul, you, you may not know this, but, but, but Paul, he gives us a whole group, a whole list of things in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. It's called the armor of God. I'm going to do another series on that. That's going to be a great series. I might even dress up as Captain America. No, pro- probably not, but... Paul talks about the shield, and the shield is the shield of faith. It has the ability to do almost anything because our faith is in Christ, who is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, our personal Savior. is the same guy who came to you and I, and he said, I've come that you may have life to the full. The shield's a big deal. We go to the movies. Matter of fact, we sit there. We wait for Stan to show up in every one of the, in, in, in every one of the movies. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> good, sorry. We sit there through the credits to watch the other movie scenes that, that, they, that they stick in. We sit there to the end of the credits because most of the time there's another one there and there's a lot of credits to sit through. Captain America. I'm not sure why God didn't put him in the Bible, but it had to be a thought. Respectful, reliable, resourceful, resilient. If you have those four characteristics, if you have those four character qualities, I don't care what the economy is doing, you will find work. Because they, are, they fit into God's economy. And, and when you and I have those four character qualities, the end result, you know what it is? Believe it or not, the end result is joy. Because those four character qualities will take you through anything in life and they will land you in a place where you live in joy. Proverbs 24, 16. When good people stumble, even if they fall seven times, they will get back up. You know what the interesting part of that verse is? That good people stumble. Seven times. Makes you good, doesn't it? Thomas Edison. Eight, over 800 tries. Over 800 tries. I tried different metals because he needed a certain kind of metal to, to make that incandescent light bulb work. And he finally found this metal called tungsten. And, and it was able to make it work. And when he was asked about all of those tries, he said, I simply found 800 things that didn't work. When we, when we fail, let's just learn something and move on. That's what I want from our staff. Look, if our staff isn't failing at something, they're probably not doing anything. So they shouldn't be there anyway. I want our staff to, to, to fail. 
Now, don't get me wrong. If they fail over and over doing the same thing, we need to find them another place to work. But, but we're going to learn in life from failure. 1 Corinthians 4, 8, 9, Paul says, we're often pressured from every side, but we are never crushed. Sometimes we don't know what to do, but we never despair. And sometimes we're attacked and abused, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up and we keep on going. I'll tell you, as I, as I, as I read through this, I'm, I'm, I was reminded of so many things, and I, I, I need to kind of bring this to a close. Daniel had these four characteristics. Paul had these four characteristics. Jesus had these four characteristics. Our world, the world around us, needs to see this in our lives and in our kids' lives. When we first moved here to Arizona, Karen and I and Wes and Julia, we went up to the Natural Bridge. How many of you have been up to the Natural Bridge? You go up 17, and I'm not even sure what the exit is. We got off, and we started walking down, and Julia was probably about this tall. And I said, Julia, you can do this. Those steps go all the way down, and they're not nice, easy steps. They're made out of rocks. If you've done it, you know it. It's just kind of a, a long path all the way down and around, down to the natural bridge. And I said, Julia, you can do this. Julia starts down that path. She climbs down one, comes to the edge of it, climbs down another one. And then she started talking to herself. Took that step, moved forward, and she said, I can do this. I can, all the way from the top to the bottom, Julia told herself at that age, I can do this. My thought process was, how long is she going to do this before I have to pick her up? Before she's going to turn around? Our kids are so much more resilient we realize she did the whole thing herself. Stand up, Julia. Yeah, come on. Our kids are resilient even when we think they're not. Wes was eight or nine years old, and he woke up. He had juvenile arthritis, and he woke up one morning. He couldn't walk. He was in such pain. And we took him to the doctor. You know what he was concerned about? There was a soccer tournament that weekend, and there was no way he wanted to miss that soccer tournament. Our kids are so much more resilient than we think they are. Our Heavenly Father knows that we, his children, are so much more resilient than we think we are. Let's stand together this morning. Let me pray with you this morning. We need to raise our kids to recognize we're living in a broken world. There isn't anything perfect except God's word and his love for them. And that it'll never fail. And it'll always do everything he expects it to do and wants it to do. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for our church family. Thank you for the things that you're doing in our lives that are just so clear. Lord, I pray for each one here this morning. 
Some of us recognizing, you know what, I, I see some of those qualities in my life, but I need help for some of the other ones. And some of us thinking, Lord, help me to do that in my kids. And that's this morning is my prayer. That God would, would, would give us the wisdom and the strength to take our kids to the place where people around us will just look at them and say, wow, that, that kid's remarkable. That kid, I, I never dreamed that that kid would ever amount to anything, but he is remarkable. Do it in our lives, Father. Do it in our families, Father. Take us to the places that you want us to be and that you want us to enjoy and to live in. And we will give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory. Lord, bless our prayer team down here as we pray with those who come forward. And this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I'd like to give you that opportunity. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This is between you and God. If, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, he's the Son of God. He came and he died for your sins and for my sins. And, and the Bible says they put him in a tomb and he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven. And he's there ever interceding for us. And so he paid the price for our sins. And, and you, you get that by simply believing that he is who he said he was. And you accept him as your Savior. If you've never done that and you'd like to do that, what that does is he, he promises that, that when we leave this planet, we will be with him in heaven. He also promises that while we are here on this planet, he will be here with us, and that we become a part of his family, we become a part of his, we become one of his children, and we're, we're part of this spiritual family. If you've never done that, you want to do it with every head bowed, every eye closed, just simply put your hand right up, put it right back down. It's that simple. I want to pray with you. Yes, I see that. Father, thank you so much. Lord, in this service and in the earlier service, the, the hands that went up, I pray, Lord, your, your blessing on that life, moving from not being a part of your family to now being a part of your family and you being her heavenly father and we being her brothers and her sisters. God, we look forward to the wonderful plan that you have for her life. Do it, we ask in your name. If you raised your hand, make sure you tell somebody before you leave here. Tell whoever you came with. Help people around. Let people know that you gave your life to Jesus Christ this morning. Lord, bless us as we leave here. Bless us as we worship you today and uh, take the rest of this day. May we honor you in all that we do. Thank you for bringing us into your family, making us a part of what it is you are doing here on this planet. In your name we pray. Everyone said, amen.